Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Really, really good to have you here this morning. My name is Gabe Phillips. I'm the husband of an amazing lady called Fiona. We've been married for four years and we are the proud parents of a one-year-old little girl called Olivia Grace. So as a redhead, I'm winning at life. A wife and a kid. What more do you need, eh? What more do you need? But uh, Jesus, thank you, Jen. How very Christian of you. It's good. It's good to have you here. But it's really good to have you here this morning. If you are visiting or if you are a regular, no matter, we're so glad that you're with us. If you're here out of habit or tradition or this is just what you do on a good Friday before the pickled fish, or even if you're here on the request of a mother or a mother-in-law who said, actually, you're not, not getting any pickled fish unless you come to church first, we don't mind. We're just so glad that you're here, and we really pray that this, the next little while will be very encouraging will, and will, most importantly, pour hope into your soul. We're trusting for that today. But it's really, really good to be t- together. I love Easter. I love this weekend for all the reasons that we sung about, for the, the life, the death, the burial of Jesus, and making much of Him, and taking time to quieten our hearts to remember this King who paid it all for us. But I also love Easter because this has got a significant memory attached to it. Five years ago, on, just around this weekend, I met my, my wife, Fiona, for the first time. Before she was my wife, of course. Um, that's how we work here. Girlfriend first. But uh, I met her in this building on the right-hand side there one Sunday. And uh, so as I say, good things happen around Easter here. Good things. So if you're single, lean in. But it's really, really exciting. You're not too sure who you sing next to in the dark here. <laughs> you could be sitting next to your future spouse. I'm just saying. Don't get nervous. Don't get nervous. But what happened was that, that next weekend was Good Friday, and, and I remember standing at the frontier, and as, as my wife's accustomed to, she came late to the service uh, with her sister Casey, and I remember them coming, making their way down the, the side corridor, and worship was going, and I caught a glimpse of how beautiful she was, and I remember I had to say, I've got to give this one to Jesus, Gabe. Fix your eyes on Him, you know? And I looked again, and I said, get behind me, Satan. She was just that good looking. It was tough. But uh, one thing led to another, and we sparked a friendship, and in my heart, it was more than a friendship from day one. Um, in hers, it was a little bit of a delay. But after three weeks of, of lots of conversation, SMSs, chatting, and connecting, um, I, I managed to gain the courage to, to ask her to become my girlfriend. Three weeks, you know, as one does. And um, she said, Gabe, this doesn't make sense. Three weeks, haven't known each other. It doesn't, it's, my logical brain's not catching up with your thought process. So I used all my lawyer skills to win it over. Now, I'd love to make a disclaimer. I've not studied law, but I have watched a lot of Suits episodes. So, so I was able to, to win her over to myself, and, uh, and she said, okay, I'm in on this journey. And then the next week was just pure bliss, romance and flowers and long walks on the beach and whispering sweet nothings into each other's ears, mainly me whispering into her ear. And after a week of this, I thought, I'm sold. This, this is the one. And uh, after a great dinner at the premier on this beachfront, on this very beachfront, can you believe it? And uh, we, we had, took her home in my car. I parked the car at, uh, outside her beachfront flat. It's going to drop off. On the radio, I can't remember what it was playing, but it was probably something like, why do birds suddenly appear every time you join here? And I, I, I took hold of her trembling hands and gazed deeply into her, her, her beautiful eyes and her eyelashes fluttered as she looked into mine. And, um, and I, I got courage, and I thought, here's a time for me to say the words that, that I'm longing to say. And I said to them, I said, Fiona, I love you. Four weeks in, you know, why not? Go big or go home. And uh, 
She looked at me, and what followed was 30 seconds of very awkward silence. 30 seconds is a long time. And a million thoughts raced from my head where I was just trying to say, don't break her gaze. Don't look away. Still look hopeful. And after 30 seconds, Fiona, to her credit, she said to me, thank you so much, Gabe. I'll hold that over here till the day we die. Because that's what we do. But uh, I want to say in that moment, the silence between us, that 30 seconds of silence said so much more than a, a thousand words could or endless poems or sonnets. That silence was, was deafening for me, as it said a lot. And maybe I'd overestimated something in this relationship at that moment. But actually, we find as we turn to Scripture this Good Friday, that we find the disciples had a similar moment, similar experience as for three years, they had met and fallen in love and gone all in on this man named Jesus, Jesus from Nazareth, the Galilean. They, they were like sold that this man was more than just a mere man because as they followed around for three years, sold everything, gave up everything to pursue him, they found Jesus was a captivate, captivating their hearts like no one else could. I mean, he was turning water into wine and these are underage guys. So that's a great trick. They're like, we like this guy stick with him. And as they went on, Jesus would heal every sick person they encountered. Jesus would ruin every funeral they went to by raising the dead person. Like, pretty messes up the order of ceremony. Well, he's alive again. No more cake and tea. But you see, Jesus, there was so captivating. He even did that walking on water thing, and they were just like, this guy is all-powerful. This guy is who he says he is. He's going to return the kingdom of Israel to us. Let's go to Rome. And they were with him saying, this is it. We're all in on this Jesus. We're going to win all the way to Rome. Let's do this thing. And then one fateful night happened. A night that we now know as uh, the day before Good Friday, Maundy Thursday, as, as Jesus and his disciples gathered for the last uh, the supper. It wasn't the last supper to their knowledge at that moment. It was a Passover meal as they had it together. And as they were, uh, after that, they went up into Gethsemane to pray. And then this man named Judas, who had been amongst them, came and betrayed Jesus into the Roman soldiers' hands as he betrayed him with a kiss. And everything started to fall down around them. In a matter of moments, all that they had hoped for, all they had dreamed of, all they had expected, suddenly they weren't too sure about it anymore. As this Jesus, who had promised so much, seemed to have gone so meekly with these guys. We pick up the story as Jesus, in the early hours of the morning, is taken over to the, the religious leader's home, the, the high priest and the teacher of the religious law. And Jesus is brought in front of these guys who start to, who start to accuse Jesus of many false things. The scripture says they paraded false witness after false witness, providing false testimony about Jesus. And, and, and the crowd around them, the, the high priest got more agitated with every false witness. And they started to ask Jesus and accuse him. Aren't you going to answer any of these charges? What do you say for yourself? You can imagine the disciples leaning at the window. Probably said, Jesus. Do that thing you did in John 8. Do that thing you did with the woman who when she was caught in adultery and then when those other guys came to throw the stones, you started to write their names or, and their sins in the, in, the, in the sand. Do that thing. Start to tell them their own sins. Start to point it out. Jesus, do that thing again. But unfortunately for the disciples in that moment, the scripture tells us that like a lamb being led to the slaughter, Jesus remained silent and made no reply. So this infuriated the religious leaders. So they actually said, you know what? We're going to take you, we're going to go higher with this. We're taking you to the highest official in the land. Caesar's representative here. 
the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, we're taking you to his house. They went and they knocked on the door, three in the morning, woke him up. Pilate came out, sleep in his eyes. He came, what's going on in this moment? And they said, actually, this guy is, is saying that he's the king, and we've only got one king. His name is Caesar. You've got to deal with this guy. So Pilate says, okay, and Pilate takes him in. None of the Jewish leaders go in with him. Why? Because none of the Jewish people wanted to defile themselves before Passover because Jewish people could not go into a Gentile home or they'll be defiled. So they stayed outside and Jesus went in alone to face his examiner, his questioner, Pilate. And as Pilate, a learned man, came face to face with the Son of God, he started to ask him questions. One by one, he went through them. He said, are you the king of the Jews? Do you hear all these charges that are bringing against you? Are you who you say you are? What is truth? Are you a madman? With all these questions coming, the book of Luke says, much to the governor's surprise, Jesus made no response to any of the charges. You see, if I was a disciple, again, I would have been leaning in and saying, Jesus, what are you doing? You're God. Why don't you do that thing that you did in the Old Testament when you met with Job, when Job was questioning you, you turned to Job and said, Job, where were you when I created the world? Who are you to question me, the God who was and is and is to come? Jesus, why don't you turn to Pilate and say, Pilate, get your finger out of my chest. I knew you. I created you in your mother's womb. Do that thing, Jesus. But Scripture tells us differently that Jesus, like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he remained silent. So Pilate, finding no fault in him, so you know what, actually, I, can't, I, don't, I don't want to deal with this. Washes his hands. Off, says, I, my guilt, the guilt's not in me. will be on the others. But he takes them out, and a crowd had gathered who were ready to celebrate the Passover and the, the, the Sabbath had gathered a Jewish crowd. And, and it says, as it's according to your custom, Pilate says, once every year at this time, I get to release one of your prisoners back to you. So Pilate says, so it happens that we've got this man, Jesus, who claims to be your king. And he says, on this side, we've got a man named Barabbas, who's a well-known murderer. A man who'd caused chaos. A man in a political uprising had killed some people. With wild eyes on the right, innocent like doves on the left. Which one do you want? And in the matter of a week, on, on, on the Sunday before, that same crowd had lined the streets as Jesus had rode into Jerusalem. They had been crying out, Hosanna. They had been crying out, save us, save us. Blessed is you who's come to save us. But in the space of a week, because Jesus had, did not fit the mold of salvation that they thought they wanted, their chance turned to not save us, but crucify him. He says, you want Barabbas? Over this guy, he said, give us Barabbas. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. In that moment, I can imagine if I was one of the disciples, I would have said, Jesus, point, stop the crowd. Silence them with one, as you've silenced the storm and the waves, silence this crowd and start to point out their hypocrisy. Tell them, go face to face and say to him, you were worshiping me last week, and this week you want to crucify me. Point out their hypocrisy. And Jesus, remind them that it's actually the same crowd that you, you fed, many of them when you fed the 5,000. You fed these people. You've, you've healed their sick. You've prayed for them. Jesus, tell the crowd of their hypocrisy. But Scripture tells us that like a lamb being led to the slaughter, Jesus remained silent. So the crowd, Jesus, they hand him over to the soldiers. And the soldiers gather around him. They strip him. And they start to lash him. Not once, not twice, but 39 times with the cat of nine tails ripping the flesh out of him. They took this Jesus and they, they after they lashed him, they put a scarlet robe on him, pressed a crown of thorns into his head. 
They beat him on the head with the, the stick that they had given him mockingly to hold. They took the stick out of his hand and beat him on the head, saying, prophesy, who hit you? Making a joke of this man. They spat in his face and they bowed mockingly before him, saying, hail, the king of the Jews. Then they led him out to the place of the skull, the rubbish dump of the day, nailed his hands and his feet to a cross and hung him up to die. I want to say at this juncture that the cross was no romantic notion with stained glass window in the background and Jesus with a forlorn look on his face. No, no. Jesus, the Bible tells us, was, was beaten to with, with, into where he would not recognize him anymore. He was so bruised and battered, no one would be able to say, that is Jesus. And actually, the Bible tells us he was crucified on the skull, the place called Golgotha, which was the rubbish dump of the day, was the place where they had, they had crucifixions weekly. So that place was going to be smelling of rotten flesh. This place was going to be smelling of fecal matter as people had died there. and People had come and hurled abuse there. And actually so much so, the crosses weren't some higher up there in a, a, a nice vantage point for people to see. The crosses were at eye level. They sunk them into the ground so that mere passers-by could stop and spit in the face of the accused men. It's no romantic moment. This was Jesus being hung out to die by the people he created. They started to mock and taunt Jesus. They said to him, save yourself. You say you can save others, save yourself. Then they said, actually, you call yourself the king of the Jews. Then why didn't you call down the angels to come save you? They started to mock and taunt him. You know what, Jesus, in that moment, he could have said with one word, enough. And all of them would have fallen dead before him. He could have said one word because actually he said, I was the word. I was in the beginning who spoke one word and light came. I can do that now. I can call the, a legion of angels that will release me from this and all of you would fall down dead before me. With one word, Jesus could have done that. But Scripture tells us that like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he remained silent. So Jesus then cried out. As the narrative tells us. He cries out. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the crowd roar and, and, and cheer as they say, he's calling Elijah. Look at him. Helpless, rejected. And he yelled out again, it is finished. And they said, yes, it is finished. The soldiers yelled as they high-fived each other. They said, yes, we've got him. And then the scripture tells us he let out one last breath. He says, Father, into your spirit, into your hands I commit my spirit. The scripture says he breathed his last breath and Jesus died. Throughout all eternity, Scripture tells us that there's not been one occasion where heaven was silenced except for one moment. Revelation chapter 8 says, when Jesus died, all of heaven went silent for 30 minutes. Man had had his say. Pilate had questioned the religious leaders had accused. The crowd had cheered and jeered. The soldiers had mocked and taunted. But now there was just silence. And scripture tells us this. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God 
a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have, led, have, been, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. His life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of the people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Sir, ma'am, friends, this morning, I'd love to suggest to you that there comes a time when all else is silenced and the voice of opinions, excuses, questions end, and you and I have to determine and decide what will fill that gap. See, a week ago, at Newlands Cricket Ground, a bunch of Australian cricketers went on the field and they took an element of sandpaper to go and cheat. They knowingly went onto the field to cheat and, and change the outcome, hopefully change the outcome of the game in their favor. The cameras caught them. They got exposed. And at the press conference, you could see there was no realization of what they had just done. A mere few hours later, as Australia woke up to this news, as the world woke up to the news, that the Australian cricket captain and his team had been caught blatantly cheating, the bombshell dropped. The next day at Newlands, as the cr- every batsman went out to bat who was involved in the scandal, the crowd booed and yelled, cheat, 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 relentlessly. As that, the, the same three men who were condemned after this incident went to the airport in Joburg as they were walking on their way to the plane, even mere passerbys, people who just worked at the airport stopped and yelled, cheat, cheat. They kept low and hiding their faces. They climbed on the plane. And when they landed in Australia to their own fans, their own people, they were, they were welcomed with, cheat, cheat. Can I tell you, no matter what those cricketers do, no matter how much community service they put in, no matter what, can they come back and hit as many runs as they can when they come back, no matter what records they break in the future, their Wikipedia page and their stain on their soul will always be, the stain on their reputation, cheat. They always will be referred to as the men who cheated at the game of cricket. Likewise for you and I, this morning I'd like to suggest that there is only one thing that can silence the voice of the questions of the past, the accusations of the enemy, the betrayals of the crowd. That moment when Jesus died and all of heaven went silent, I'll tell you there was only one sound that you and I need to take notice of. In the silence of that moment, there was a drip, 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 drip as the blood of Jesus started to flow for his accusers, as the blood of Jesus started to flow for his questions, as the blood of Jesus started to cl- flow for his deniers, for his betrayers, for the, those who were apathetic, as the blood of Jesus began to flow, that was the only noise that was still around. Hebrews tells us this, that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. 
The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than all your efforts to clean up your own mess. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than all your brokenness, all your mess. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. He stands by your side and he says, if you allow me, my blood will stand in your defense. When no one else will speak up for you, my blood will. When you've got no one, nowhere else to stand, where you actually don't have the strength to pick yourself up, when you cannot look yourself in the face in the morning, when you cannot face your past, what has gone behind you, the blood of Jesus says, I speak a better word. I stand in your defense. There is only one thing, and I say, ma'am, I want to labor this point, that it cannot be earned. No religious or moral pursuits will do anything. You cannot do good enough good or pay enough penance to get this. There's actually only one thing, that Jesus stood and he drank the cup of God's wrath and of sin down to its very last drop, to the very dregs. Jesus took the wrath of God and the sin of man and he drank it completely. On that cross, Jesus became Judas, the betrayer. On that cross, Jesus became Peter, the denier. On that cross, Jesus became the crowd. He became Barabbas. He became the soldiers. He became the alcoholic. He became the liar. He became the cheat. He became the adulterer. He became the prostitute. He became the dropout. He became the sinner. He became my sin. And your sin. Jesus became sin. So that if we would allow his blood to speak for us, we could become the righteousness of God. There is no other way. The Son of God became a Son of Man so that Son of Men might become sons of God if we trust His blood and His blood alone. This morning, my thought for you is that the enemy will always point out your inadequacies. The cross will always point to His sufficiency. The enemy will always point out where you fall short, where you don't measure up, where you lack. But the cross of Christ always says, I am enough. My blood paid it all. I'd love to ask us to close our eyes in this moment. morning, I believe some of you have been fighting battles of depression, sickness, anger, unforgiveness, fear, anxiety, lust, and the questioning, the accusing, the mockery of guilt and shame runs deep. When we lie in bed at night and all else is quiet, there's no one around to smile for, no one else around us to appease, to to think about the dead of night when we lie there. It's just us in the silence, your beating heart and Jesus. In that moment, who do you turn to? Today, I believe in the silence of the finished work of Jesus. We can be set free by His blood. No more excuses, no more arguments, no more promises to try harder. Just say, Jesus, I surrender to your blood. This morning, I want to ask, maybe you're seated here, and uh, you're sitting here, and, and, and if you died today, you'd, you'd go to heaven, and Jesus would be there, and Jesus would ask every single one of us this question. He'll say, why should I let you into my heaven? He'll ask that question. Every one of us will be faced with that question. Why should I let you in? And then there'll be a silence for you and I to fill the gap. 
And sir, ma'am, I want to say if you and I have any other thing to put in that gap besides I trusted your blood alone, we'll unfortunately be met with a much longer silence from him, an eternal silence, and we will not be asked to enter into his joy. If you put in that gap, I went to church a lot. I tried hard. I, I, was a, I, I really tried to make up for my mistakes. I gave away a lot to the poor. I did good deeds. I didn't sin as much as that person. Unfortunately, that, that answer will not be good enough. It always falls short. You and I, no matter how hard we try, we always fall short of the glory of God. There is only one thing, sir, ma'am, that stamps our passport for eternity, that stamps our hearts with His love, with His unconditional favor, His grace, His mercy. It's the blood of Jesus alone. This morning, the cross says, come. It says, come to me. Great preacher once says, the cross of God cross of Christ is the greatest advert of heaven saying God wants his kids back maybe sing there he's saying don't be too radical I'll deal with this later well I would do you a disservice by saying if I didn't tell you this that actually none of us can be guaranteed a second chance none of us one thing is certain in this life is that death will come to us all sir ma'am don't delay making right with God his arms are extended to you says, will you reach out and take hold of his hands? Make the big decision today. Turn to Jesus. Turn away from your sin and trust him. I want to say this morning, no matter where you find yourself on the spectrum, maybe this is the first time you've ever made or thought and been encouraged to make this decision, to trust his blood alone. Say, today's your day. Maybe you've been in this place for many years, but actually been laboring with guilt and shame from your past. You've been laboring with the voice of the enemy saying, you're an average mother. You're a below, below average father. You're a reject. And the thing, the, the trailer of your past just cannot be released. And actually, everywhere you go, maybe it's not the opinion of man, but maybe it's the, the stain on your soul. Cheat, fraud, liar follows you. And you say, I want to be free of that, Gabe. I cannot go another day. The Bible says the blood of Jesus is the answer. So whether this is your first time, to turn to Christ or you've been here and you say actually today I need to give my whole life to Christ and surrender all to Him and His blood. I'm going to count to three and then I'm going to ask you to do something bold to lift your hands so I can pray for you. I'm going to count to three. I want to tell you your hands being lifted up is no, it does nothing in itself. It's your heart being surrendered to the drip, 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 drip pouring out of His blood upon you. His blood is more than enough. All you need to do is surrender your heart to Him. So, sir, ma'am, we're going to count to three. Number one, the cross is saying, I want my children back. Two, turn away from your sin and turn to Christ and His blood alone. Three, can you lift your hands to Him if you're in need of His grace this morning? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lift your hands high to Him. So he doesn't need to see them, but, but for us, it's a moment of response. It's this uh, faith says, God, I'm going to reach out to Him. Reach out to Him. Father, right now, you see these hands. Right now, I thank you that your grace is pouring out. Your blood speaks a better word. In this moment where they are saying, I have no defense of my own, I have no ability to stand on my own, today, the great defender, Jesus Christ, stands and says, I stand by your side. I stood in your place. My blood speaks a better word for you. I thank you, Father God, you're washing them of even a guilty conscience, your word tells us. The stain of the past is no more. 
I thank you, Father God, that today we cannot make right for our past. But Father, we can trust you to make right for our future. So I thank you, Father God, that you speak a better word, a new day, a new destiny, a new future for the sons and daughters of God. The enemy is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony declaring we trust him alone. Thank you for this today. Thank you, Lord.